and welcome to day three of the Land Forces Africa Africa Defense Review podcast. Uh, today we attended some of these sessions and attended the, the lectures given by Helmut Heitman, a local defense expert in South Africa, who discussed the differences between conventional and unconventional warfare, as well as the, the very interesting trends in conflict these days in Africa, where the transition between unconventional conflict is starting to blur the lines between that of conventional conflict, meaning you know armed rebel groups and such um, becoming better armed and thus becoming more vulnerable to conventional solutions. Beyond that, there was also a discussion by a Special Forces senior officer within South Africa, or the South African Army, um, who is a Colonel Kutsia. Uh, Kutsia discussed a variety of topics on Special Forces, but focused on the very interesting notion of, the, of a SADC Special Forces Brigade, or rather SADC Special Forces Complement. Um, and how it's how it's structured currently under the African Union, basically mentioning that such a thing does actually exist, and more importantly, the SADAC complement has actually already been trained towards a Scenario 6 capability, meaning the spe SADAC Special Forces contingent is effectively capable to intervene and prevent, one would hope, a genocide anywhere in Africa. We've included some experts, excerpts rather from Colonel Kutsia's presentation today, um, which you can listen to now. This starts by training their own special forces with the foundation training. Then we have a few centers of excellence, like in South Africa, Lesotho, and Botswana, that are very far advanced. Some of the students of the whole setting then go to those various institutions to do their basic training, basic special forces training. They're already trained soldiers. They come to one of those places for special forces basic training. Then they go back to their respective units and you select where you want to go do a special course. You want to do a reconnaissance course, you can come to South Africa. If you want to do a diving course, you can go to Zambia and do it in the Great Lakes. So uh, then we are at the deep and advanced skills. On an annual basis, we do a big for special forces, big multinational special forces exercise. We are busy with planning the fifth one, which this year is desert warfare in Namibia. We have done counter-terror, we have done maritime operations, and next year it will be anti-piracy. And we bring 350 to 500 operators together. We work on the concept for a few weeks before the time, and then we execute it. So when we leave that scenario, we have got a lot of rehearsals behind us that we can utilize at short notice, should the Sunday stand by force and our superiors in the African standby force uh, happen to need a special forces capability. Following Colonel Kutsia's presentation, there was also a presentation by Boeing's Michael Marshall. Now, Michael Marshall presented a very interesting presentation on the C-17 and Chinook 47 or CH-47 medium lift uh, helicopter. What is interesting is we were actually able to catch up with Michael Marshall at his stand and have some words with him on one-on-one. -on -one. The following is an interview conducted with Michael Marshall. Um, at his stand talking about the C-17 specifically and strategic airlift in South Africa. When you last came here, what's an AAD in September last year, um, at least you know, as, a, as Boeing you know, coming to talk about airlift and things like that, there wasn't so much emphasis on airlift. But now there was a little statement by the, the defense minister where they actually expressed a stated interest and need for this airlift. Um, have, have you seen any sort of movement after that statement? Well, I think we need to go back a little bit, uh, maybe 
four years ago. Um, South Africa, we, we never really considered South Africa a potential candidate because they had ordered the A400M. Right. And when they canceled that program, we decided to take a look, thinking that they had operated C-130s. So if they were looking at the A400M, they were already moving up in terms of capacity and capability. So we thought we would go in and investigate the C-17. Um, what we have found out is uh, uh, internally, I think the South Africans are trying to assess do we go with a medium lift, what we would call a medium lift of airplane, maybe replace the C-130, mm -hmm. or go with a, a heavier lift airplane, mm -hmm. uh, maybe in combination with rotorcraft. And um, I think they've got a lot on their plate in terms of requirements, and we haven't seen a lot of movement. I think they're having trouble just prioritizing what they need to do and, right. and look at the budget and figure out when they can afford it and how to proceed. What they can get and how but, much. And but there's there's no doubt in, in my mind or I think our mind that you know lift is needed on this continent. Absolutely. And 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 lift is needed in South Africa. Uh, so it just comes to what is the best way to satisfy their need based on their timing and their budget? It's a requirement. But, yeah, but we'd like, we'd like to help them with that. Uh, as I said, we've, we've got a lot of analysis tools, computer-aided uh, programs that we buy commercially. They're not Boeing-developed programs. And we can work with them on what their mission requirements are and show them the airplanes or fleet or mix of airplanes that most cost-effectively satisfy those requirements. Right, right. So now, of course, the cost-effectiveness, I mean, it was a big issue last year at, at, at AAD. People were asking all sorts of questions about that. And I remember Boeing specifically said, look, obviously the outlay cost is higher, but if you're going to use this thing, it's you know more cost-effective in the, in the future. Can you expand a bit more on that in terms of the comparative cost? Well, that's why I, I said today, uh, there's a tendency for people to, to look at the C-17 as this big behemoth that's very expensive and that we're not going to utilize it very much and so it's a big asset that's just going to sit. But when you look at buying less expensive airlift aircraft, you're basically buying less capability. So for a C-130, for example, you would have to buy four C-130s just to equal the same capacity as the C-17 in terms of payload. But what happens now is if I buy more airplanes, now I have to have more pilots to train. I have to have more infrastructure. I have to have more logistic support. Around that plane. And that adds up. And even if I get the same capacity, I still don't have the capability that the C-17 does. So in the long run, it may cost you more to buy the less to buy the less expensive asset because you have to buy more of them. So it's it's an education process that you just have to sit down with the customer and it's it's uh, you know a, a walkthrough to really explain airlift all the 
the, the kind of nuances and limitations and restrictions associated with when you've got to move something yeah. from A to B and do it quickly. Absolutely, and I think it's, it's probably something a lot of at least politicians, those are ultimately the ones that are responsible for the budget, overlook as a sort of ancillary cost. But then, I mean, also, I mean, mentioning mean, the C 17, obviously, it's a larger aircraft. Um, inside as well, and I think a lot of the problem with medium lift and, and, and smaller aircraft is a lot of the things we need transported cannot fit, um, at least fully assembled, um, you know, within those. Um, now, I, I'm not sure if it's fair to ask you, obviously, you know, being from the States, right? Yes. Uh, not Canada, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, do you know, in terms of South African systems, um, like, I, I know there are big concerns about a Royal Falcon attack helicopter, whether it can fit inside a C-130, um, and our armored vehicles, you know, whether, and more importantly, our Vagin infantry fighting vehicle, which we'll be procuring whenever the, the military finally find the money to actually do it. Um, will those fit? Yeah, uh, they will. It's just a matter of how many. Uh, right. For example, the, the largest piece of equipment uh, that the C-17 carries basically is the CH-47 right. model. And there's only a small amount of assembly and disassembly that's required okay. uh, to make it combat ready. The issue you have with, with smaller airplanes, and it's something that I mentioned this morning, is the cross-sections and the, and the cargo bay are just too small to carry the type of things that need to be carried today. Um, we're just carrying bigger things. We may be more mobile and lean, but the stuff we're carrying is bigger. Uh, for example, I know they transport the Oryx helicopter a lot. If you go into a C-130 or an airplane, that, I mean, you're talking almost a total teardown. Well, I mean, at the and moment, yes. Yeah, 24 hours. 24 hours. Break it down, and, it down. and then you have to flight test it to make sure it's ready to go, and that kind of defeats the whole purpose of the rapid reaction. Yeah. yeah. So, what is the know, point of sending this over? And, and even even you get into the big tracked vehicles and wheeled vehicles on C-17, that was the initial requirement the U.S. Army put in. I've got to have these kind of vehicles side by side that roll on, roll off. I have to have these Humvees and these combat vehicles roll on and roll off. So it was all made with that in mind because the requirements came from the land forces right, and yeah. came from the Air Force. <laughs> right, right. So, and then, I mean, in, in your opinion, because obviously you are the C-17 expert now, it's kind of like, it was like asking a salesman, how much can I buy? But I mean, it's, um, how many do you think is appropriate for the South African Air Force um, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of what its, its needs are, at least at the moment, uh, assuming if it, if it was looking, well, it is looking today for strategic end. Mm -hmm. um, but how many would you say is sort of the bare minimum, I suppose we could um, put it that way? I, it, it, it's hard to say, and I think you have to look at it from two ways. If, if they are looking at it for, say, their own internal consumption, that's one thing. But if they plan to operate on a consistent basis across the whole continent... Oh, and I suppose as if they want refuelers and things like that as well? Yeah, yeah across the whole continent, okay. you know, then, you know, that changes. Right. Um, but, you know, the, the, the availability rate of this airplane is very, very high. It's the highest among any airlift airplanes oh, really? out there. It's like in the mid-80s to high-80s uh, right. in terms of availability. Uh, but 
you know, eventually you're going to have one airplane down for maintenance. Mm. So, you know, if you buy a small fleet, just for argument's sake, figure there's two and one goes down, you've cut your capability yeah. in half. I mean, there'd have to be some sort of deal. Yes. So, you know, it's hard to say. You know, if, 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 if the South African Air Force and the Ministry of Defense and our analysts would sit down, would like to sit down with us, and we understand their mission requirements better, mm -hmm. then we could do a better job helping them size what the yeah. fleet would be. That's actually a good point. I suppose first they need to actually figure out what yeah. it is they they want to do with exactly. Yes. Exactly. Well, uh, take off and landing. Configured for South African uh, runways, runways in uh, sort of. I mean, I know it's, it's. Can it land on a soft or sort of unprepared runway? I, I actually have a chart. Um, oh, right. In my briefing tomorrow, but um, the C the, the C17 at, at its full landing weight, which is 585,000 pounds. For uh, a runway of a certain length and width and thickness, there is about 328 airfields on the continent that it can land on, and it can land on that a thousand times before you start seeing any damage. If you go to runways that are uh, somewhat harder and longer. The number doubles. Mm. Uh, as a matter of fact, at at equal payloads, mm. the C-17 can operate on more runways in the continent of Africa than the C-130 can. Right. Okay. So, okay. so the answer is yes. It's it's what so is yes. called <laughs> a, a a small austere airfield, or what we call an unimproved airfield. Mm. It has to be compact uh, dirt. Or it has to be compact gravel, right. uh, something like that. I mean, it's 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 not going to just land on a pasture, or, yeah. you know, a soft field. It's not going to land no, on a sand dune, yeah. you know. But it can. It does not have to be concrete. Strip somewhere. Yeah, it does okay. not have to be concrete. All right. Uh, going back to the, the, the procurement time, you say there's high availability. So, in terms of turnaround time from signing the contract to delivery of the vehicle, uh, <laughs> delivery of the aircraft, uh, time scale for that? Roughly speaking, it, 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 we, we say that it's uh, it's a three-year process. Okay. Um, it, it's actually uh, shorter than that, but a lot of it depends on when the order comes in, yeah. how many airplanes are ahead, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, okay. When when we had an uh, active uh, or we were in the middle of the USAF uh, program. Uh, some international customers wanted the airplane right now, and so the U.S. Air Force just traded production spots with them. Right. Because we were so far ahead in our deliveries to the U.S. Air Force, uh, right. they didn't mind. And so now, you know, other international customers want it, they want the airplane. So, uh, you know, unless a potential customer wanted to negotiate with another international customer that was always on, already on contract, not sure how that would work out. That would be a government, <laughs> yeah. government thing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we still have a hot production line that's going to be going for a couple more years. Uh, just based on what we have on contract, we have a lot more opportunities around the world that we're investigating. So there's a good chance this line is going to continue for several more years. It'll 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 probably be all international. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's going to continue for several more years. Right.
And then I, I imagine being the, the South African mentality, I think, is to generally run its aircraft into the ground, you know, as long as part I mean, the C-130s we yeah. have 50 years today, well, this year. Um, what kind of lifespan at the maximum, because I think realistically speaking, this is what we're talking about when we talk about the South African Air Force, because they will use these to the end of its lifespan. Um, how, how many years are we talking there? Well, what it's, it's not so much years. Uh, the real determining factor is really what is referred to as cycles. Right. How many times do you go up, do you go down? Hmm. Uh, if, if you fly the airplane, uh, on long strategic missions that puts less wear and tear on the airplane. If you just take off, climb the cruise right, and right. just fly. That's you're going up and down and up and down. Yeah, if you're doing a lot of short, uh, then you're putting a lot more wear and tear on the landing gear and on the system. But to really answer your question directly, the airplane is designed for 30,000 hours, but okay. but will go to easily go to 45,000 hours. Okay. Um, that's also to, to give you a point of reference, the C-130s that we use now, the BCs, have I think 17,000 hours on them after 15 mm -hmm. years. Very underflyed, actually. Yeah. Um, so that's... Okay, that's and, and, and even the U.S. Air Force, I think the first models that came out in, you know, 95, mm -hmm. so they're coming up on 20 years, the high-time airplanes. Right. I, I think there's only a handful of them that even have 20,000 hours on them. Right, right. So, you know, a lot of it depends on how many hours you're going to fly, how many crews you're going to fly, uh, and whether it's long strategic missions or you're really doing a lot of tactical, where you're doing a lot of short flights, a lot of landings, a lot of takeoffs. That's what really puts the wear and tear on it. Yeah, absolutely. That's it from the African Defense Review team covering the Land Forces Africa 2013 exhibition. If you like this podcast and would like to access extra material, analysis, and insights, feel free to come over to www.africandefense.net or on Twitter at African Defense. Thank you very much.